Pray with me. Lord God, thank you that you are on your throne. And no matter what happens in the weather and the changes of the seasons and all of that, you're God of all of that. No matter what happens in the news, in the headlines and in the headlines of our hearts, you're Lord of all of that. So Lord, help us bring you those places today where we need to trust you. Those places, Lord God, where we need to feel you, where we need to sense you, where we need to depend on you. Show us how to do that for our sake and those we love. And when we leave, Father God, may we leave with a renewed sense of hope, courage, and peace to be still and know that you were God. Teach us that, I ask, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is Dallas Baptist University, at least part of it. It's in Dallas, appropriately named, over in the southwest part of Dallas. Remarkable story. Now, a lot of you know DBU. Maybe some of you have students, uh, children that have been there. Maybe you have some background there yourself. I've been involved with DBU for, oh gosh, 30 years now, I guess. I've been on the board. I've taught the doctoral program there. Speak in chapel a lot. Just so grateful for the school, primarily because of Gary Cook. Dr. Cook became president at DBU back in 1988 at the age of 37. The school was going under, financially going under. There had been a motion on the floor of the Texas Baptist Convention to close DBU that was narrowly defeated just before Gary came as president at the age of 37. The campus was in such disrepair that in the main administrative building, when it rained, they just opened the front door and the back door so all the water leaking through the roof had a place to run out. I mean, it was awful. When he showed up in April, or May, excuse me, May of 88 as president, he discovered upon becoming president that they didn't have enough money to make it to the end of the year. That's what he learned when he became president at the age of 37. Well, Gary's a man of deep prayer, deep faith, deep conviction, deep trust in the Lord. So the first thing he did was to start an intercessory prayer ministry for the school, asking people all over Texas to pray for DBU, literally for God to save DBU. And then one day as he was praying, Gary was directed to this passage in Genesis 26, verse 18. Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the names that his father had given them. Now that's not probably your favorite verse in the Bible, right? You probably aren't looking at that thinking, finally, somebody, you know, understands this verse. Well, God spoke through that verse to Gary to say to him, that God wanted him to go back to the wells that had previously been dug, meaning by that the donors who had supported DBU in previous years, but had stopped doing so because of all the issues at the school. All the financial issues, cultural issues, leadership issues, all the stuff that had gone on, they had stopped supporting the school. And God led Gary to go back to them and ask them to help the school in its crisis and in a kind way said, if you don't do this, then the school you've invested in will go under and all your investment will be lost, is essentially the point that he was making. And these previous donors who hadn't given for years gave so much money that they saved the school and it's ended every year in the black since. Over that length of time of Gary's 28 years of being president and now he's chancellor of the school, the student body has quadrupled. The graduate student enrollment has increased tenfold, the assets have gone up eight times, and the campus has grown by 50%. And people call, it, people call it the miracle of DBU. Well, Gary, if he was here, would take you back to that verse when God answered his prayer in that way. 
Gary's the older brother I never had. I love him. He and I have been doing life together a long time. So a couple weeks ago, DBU gave him an honorary doctorate in one of the chapel services. So I went over for the chapel service just to be there, just to be in attendance. I was actually kind of sitting in the back, and Gary saw me. It made me get up in front of God and everybody and walk down to the front and sit with his family, which I wasn't very happy about, but that's all right. I'm glad to be part of the family, I guess, on some level. And during his message, Gary told the story I just told you to the student body as a way of encouraging them to trust God in prayer for the miracles you need. Pray big prayers to a big God. As the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. Pray big prayers to a miracle-working God. That was his point. I saw Gary manifested. I didn't plan to say this, but 10 years ago, I was on campus speaking in chapel on Monday, and he and I were walking over to chapel and asked him how he was doing, and he said, well, he wasn't feeling great. Going to see the doctor later that week. He saw the doctor on Thursday. The doctor was concerned. They called in a specialist. The specialist said the tests aren't good. Gary called me, and Janet and I ran down to the hospital to sit with Gary and his wife when the hematological oncologist came in to tell Gary he had leukemia, the exact leukemia that killed Tom Landry. Acute myelogenous leukemia, category M3. He wouldn't be going home. He'd be going in the hospital that night to start chemotherapy that night to try to save his life. And the doctor left, and Gary turned to us and said, my times are in his hands. And he prayed a big prayer. And God was gracious. And Gary is well. And God is on his throne. So if Gary was here, he would tell us, pray big prayers to a miracle-working God. Now, why do we need that today? Well, you could point to any headlines, right? This I just happened to pick a story about all of the violence in the streets in recent days, in Chicago and in Los Angeles and in the major cities of the country. But we could talk about fears about recession. We could talk about what's going on right now with China and Russia and China and Russia together and AI and all the stuff inside that. could talk about Sudan. And uh, the airlifting of American personnel out of the embassy in Sudan this weekend. You could talk about issues in your life. You could talk about places where you need God to be a big working God, a miracle working God. Well, the Bible says, <clears throat> if my people call by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It starts with prayer. Pray big prayers to a big God. So how do you do that? Well, here's the text. I want us to take just a moment to talk about together. We're in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Herod the king, son of Herod the Great, laid violent hands on, excuse me, grandson of Herod the Great, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He saw that pleased the Jews, proceeded to arrest Peter also during the days of unleavened bread. When he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Focus on that verse with me for just a moment. R.A. Torrey's marvelous book, The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power, identifies four ways we ought to pray out of that verse. Pray passionately. Earnest prayer. Not just with your head, but with your heart. Pray with all of you. Pray with your being. Pray earnestly, passionately, the text would say. Pray specifically. Earnest prayer for 
him. I think we fall short here. I oftentimes hear people ask God to be with us. Well, you don't have to pray for God to be with you. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. But even beyond that, how would God know how to answer that? If I came up to Brian and said, Brian, be with me, he would say, well, well what do you mean? Be with you. You want me to go home with you today? You want me to ride in the car? What do you mean be with me? Or if I went to Brian and said, Brian, bless me, Brian would say, well, did you sneeze? I mean, what, what do you mean bless you? Uh, wh what do you mean to bless you? I've learned over the years to try to pray prayers I wouldn't know how to answer if I was God. If I was God, I would know how to answer that. Pray that specifically. When Wells was back in the hospital for his infusion, I've been learning to pray specifically. God, work through the infusion so well that the side effects will be minimal, that Wells will have as good an experience as possible, that Craig and Rachel will get sleep while they're there with him in the hospital, and the doctors will be amazed by his progress. Praying specifically. Prayed for him, it says. Pray earnestly, pray specifically, pray continually. When it says was made, the Greek sense, the Greek syntax of this means continually, not just once. Now, you're not praying to tell God what he doesn't know. You're not wearing God down with your incessant prayers. Praying positions us to experience God's grace. And praying also gets God's hands on us. Right now, we're talking about God. If we were praying, we'd be talking to God. And when you talk to God, then God gets his hands on you, like a carpenter that can sand the wood here. It's one thing to talk about this pulpit. It's another, it's another to get your hands on the pulpit. When you pray, God gets his hands on you. So pray continually, pray passionately, pray specifically, and pray collectively by the church. Not just by John or just by Andrew or just by Philip, by the church. Pray collectively. What's your Peter? What's your jail? Who's your Herod? What's the issue in your life today? Are you praying passionately? Are you praying specifically? Are you praying continually? Are you asking someone else to pray with you? Would you humble yourself enough to ask somebody else to pray with you? Well, on this particular occasion, God answered the church's prayers in a miraculous way. You know the story. The angel came, he opened the prison, he sent Peter out of the prison, freed him from Herod's clutches. Peter goes to the church, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, actually. Peter goes to the church and knocks on the door, and this servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door, and there's Peter. Goes inside, tells the people praying for Peter's release, the Peter's outside, and they don't believe him. They say, oh, no, it can't be. It must be his spirit, they said, or an angel. or something. They're praying for Peter to be released, and they don't believe it when Peter is released. That encourages me. I don't have to be perfect in faith. I, don't have to, I can have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And God hears that. I love that prayer in Mark 9 where the Father says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You can pray that. Lord, help me to have faith. Help me to have faith to have faith. You can pray that way. They were praying for Peter's release. They didn't believe it when Peter's released. So here's Peter out here knocking on the door. Romans are looking for him by now. He's a fugitive from justice in the Roman system, and they won't let him in because they don't believe he's out there. But finally, they open the door, and Peter comes in and shares the story of how God has answered their prayers. And Peter goes on from there. And it's because of this story that Peter eventually makes his way to Rome, pastors the church in Rome, writes first and second Peter, of the New Testament, and is ultimately years later, like 30 years later, 
is executed for following Jesus. He was crucified, according to early tradition, upside down. That's Caravaggio's famous portrait of Peter's crucifixion. Because when they came to execute him, he asked to be crucified upside down. He said he, but he, said he was not worthy to die in the same manner as did his Lord, said Peter. And then he was buried. Here's the burial site. I've been within 40 feet of it, down in the catacombs under the Vatican. You have to get special permission. I had a friend that got me down there and was able to go down and be within 40 feet of the burial spot. They believe the actual burial spot of Peter did some DNA testing on some remains some years ago that can't confirm it's Peter, but it absolutely matches a first century man, the age that Peter would have been when he died. And over that spot stands this. There's St. Peter's Basilica standing over the spot of Peter's tomb, and that's the inside, the largest church in the world. Who could have imagined a Galilean fisherman and a story like that? Illustrating the fact that God gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. So let me ask you, where's your prison? Who's your Peter? What's your Herod? If you will pray, passionately, specifically, continually, collectively, God will do whatever is best because he's still on his throne. And if you pray big prayers to a big God, you cannot begin to imagine what God might do in response. So I'll close with this example that I saw in the news this week. This is Sammy Burko. Meet Sammy Burko. Sammy is a teenager, uh, interesting young man, lives in Missouri City outside of Houston. A couple weeks ago, he was rock climbing with some friends. He suffered a heart attack on the wall. He was lowered down to the ground. The paramedics were rushed in. They worked on him for two hours before finally abandoning hope. No brain activity, no breathing, no oxygen, clinically dead. They called his parents, who rushed to the place, of course, where their now deceased son was, teenage son. As they're with him to say their goodbyes, his mother felt moved to pray for God to intervene. And Sammy began breathing. And the paramedics rushed back and they got him to the hospital, fearful that he would have devastating brain injury if he survived at all because he'd been oxygen deprived for so long. He has no brain deficit whatever. He's still undergoing therapy to get the strength back in his legs. He had a spinal injury, but he is going to be well. A doctor down in Missouri City asked about all of this, told a local reporter, we do see kids all the time here who have had CPR, but with very prolonged CPR, we typically see very severe global anoxic brain injury. So to me, he is a literal miracle. All that God has ever done, he can still do. All of God there is, is in this moment. All of God there is, is in this moment. So let's pray. Why is it that you're here today in the context of this conversation? I'll ask again, what's your jail? Who's your Peter? Where's your Herod? What's the burden on your heart? 
Would you name it right now specifically? Would you give it to God specifically? Pray a specific prayer right now. Pray a prayer you would know how to answer if you were God. Do that right now. Pray passionately. Give it to God with your heart. Make a commitment to pray continually about this. And then I would encourage you to ask somebody else to pray with you about that place where you most need God to be God. Father God, thank you that all you've ever done you can still do today. We know that we have not because we ask not. So teach us even today, Father, wherever the place is in our lives, where we need the Easter miracle of Jesus, where we need the risen life of Christ, where we need the miracle working work of the Holy Spirit, where we need all of God in this moment. Help us to be people of big faith and big prayers, trusting in a big God. We ask together in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless. Be safe out there in this winter weather. See you soon.